Folks, we are starting up. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and tonight is session number 205 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings as we continue with the formation of the Company of the Ring, uh, which is very exciting. There are two slots yet to be filled in the Company of the Ring. And how are we going to fill those? And on what basis shall they be filled? Um, uh, we shall find uh, Elrond's selection criteria really put to the test when he is compelled to make uh, apparently spontaneous decisions uh, about that. Um, so, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Almarea says, short, cute, and available. Those will seem to weigh in, I suspect. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, very good. Okay. Um, so, uh, before, though, we dig in to uh, see Elrond um, approach this problem, um, I have a question as to whether or not, how, how spontaneous we think Elrond is being here. That's another question we're going to ask. But anyway, before we ask these questions, um, I wanted to um, uh, just make a, a, a same Two announcements is last week, very quickly. Uh, Baymoot is coming up, so tomorrow is the um, the deadline for uh, calls for proposals to present at Baymoot. Um, so I encourage you, if you would like to uh, present with us at Baymoot, it's been a lot of fun. You can present uh, physically or digitally. Um, of course, it's a fully hybrid event. Uh, so we definitely encourage you to get in touch. Again, go to signumuniversity.org slash events and you will find the Baymoot page there and you can uh, click on that. The registration is there. The uh, call for presentations is there. Uh, and I, uh, I, I would welcome your participation. Looking, I can't wait to go to Berkeley and uh, uh, attend this uh, myself. I'll be, I'll be attending physically. Uh, look forward to seeing folks there and getting to connect with folks who are coming with us digitally. The date, of course, is November 6th. Uh, so, and there's still time to sign up, of course, as well. Um, that is uh, uh, that is the first announcement. The second is don't forget about space. Uh, so let me just a very brief uh, note on how this works. Um, our space uh, program, our current candidate list of space modules. We will not necessarily be offering all of these. Um, as I explained in my State of the University address, our modules are going to be based entirely uh, on student demand, right? Our goal is just to kind of make as much available as we can and then let you guys choose what you want to do. Um, so we have, we already have uh, a bunch of selections being made um, uh, by people who have already purchased their tokens. Step one, uh, purchase some tokens. Uh, purchase your space tokens. The, uh, the There's a, a significant discount uh, for buying a pack of them. And um, 
when you buy your tokens, we will get in touch with you and we will invite you to tell us what you want to do uh, for December. Um, you will have maximum impact uh, on the selection of the modules if that happens within these next two weeks. Um, so after next week, on the 7th of November, is when we're going to be announcing our confirmed modules for December. We'll also be talking about the modules that are available. We'll, we'll have our candidate modules for January at the same time, but we will be posting our confirmed modules for December. That means uh, only people who purchase their tokens in the, within these, or either have done so already or do so within these next couple weeks um, are going to be able to basically determine which modules we're going we're gonna to offer uh, on uh, in December. There will still be time to sign up, if you want to sign up uh, for the confirmed modules after they're selected, but if you want to be part of the selection process, uh, if you want to be able to vote, then uh, purchase your tokens and get in touch with us, and we will uh, or we will get in touch with you if you purchase tokens, uh, and you can be part of that process. Uh, really excited to see this coming together. Uh, this is our, our newest big program. Really, really excited about space. Uh, glad to see folks uh, getting involved, uh, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be pretty cool. Um, so, all right, um, uh, let us move straight into the text here as we dis as we uh, examine the last two goods in the package here. Um, I titled this slide that because, of course, uh, this was a. Uh, you know, the vulgarity of inviting 144 of them uh, just in order to, you know, th for their numbers to be uh, chosen to uh, match that remarkable total of the sum of their ages at Bilbo's party back in chapter one. Um, I could not but think of that as, of course, um, there's no question here. Having selected the first seven, right, you know, he's already he's he's already accomplished his goal. Um, he said he wanted all of the free peoples. To, you know, he had a few guiding principles, right? Uh, Elrond did behind his selection process. One was he wanted all the free peoples represented, and he's he's good there, right? He's got two hobbits, he's got uh, uh, two humans, an elf and a dwarf, and a wizard, right? No problem. Um, he's got seven. Seven's a perfectly good number, right? No problem. I know you guys are always you guys are always uh, uh, critical of poor Elrond that he failed to include Ents uh, in the number of the Free Peoples, but it just goes to show you what Treebeard is talking about, or will be talking about a little bit further down the road um, about nobody being altogether on their side. Everybody leaves out the Ents. Um, uh, anyway, okay. So, um, but what I was saying is they've got seven folks, right? And it doesn't even seem to be on the table to Elrond to just stop at seven. Like, okay, this is this is the right... No, nine is the right number, right? Uh, the importance of having the nine walkers to set against the nine walkers... N riders. Nine walkers to be set against the, the, nine, the nine riders um, uh, that are evil. And we talked about the uh, sort of symbolic significance uh, of that as well. Um, but... Uh, so yeah, that seems to be the one thing that is not on the table. Just saying, okay, let's call it a day. Uh, the seven of you should be fine, right? No, no, no. Uh, instead, he says, there remain two more to be found, said Elrond. Um, oh, wait, hang on a second. I want to briefly comment on what wasn't said here. Um, what wasn't said by Elrond, um, what Elrond didn't say at the beginning of this paragraph is anything in response to Aragorn's speech about Boromir. 
right? Um, you know, he is a valiant man. Awkward silence. <laughs> there remain two more to be found, said Elrond. No, no commentary. No commentary from anybody. Uh, on by Frodo, by Elrond, by Gandalf, um, about um, uh, about Boromir's inclusion in the party, which only strikes me as interesting, just because, as I mentioned, it was he was that last sentence. He is a valiant man. Seems like a simple enough sentence, but again, it's it's out of step with everything else uh, that is happening. Uh, that is happening here. Um, Nobody comments on this. Elrond, so the, the, Jackie, my answer to the what more is there to say, this is Elrond's deal, right? You know, Elrond was saying, was choosing the companions, right? This, uh, you know, choosing the the companions to go in the company, right? Um, And uh, I mean, again, I'm not suggesting that I think that Boromir got shoehorned in here without uh, Elrond's say-so, but it's it's just conspicuous to me that Elrond uh, that Elrond does not talk about him or mention him. He is introduced by Aragorn, um, and Elrond never says anything about uh, anything about him one way or the other. And when Aragorn brings him in, he he's reassuring, I think, Frodo in saying that he's a valiant man, right? Um, uh, like, don't worry, Frodo, you'll be glad to have him with us. Uh, seems to me like the sort of point there. Um, but, um, yeah, it just, it just, uh, is the oddest note I find in this whole thing. Elrond is completely in charge of this day, right? He's completely in charge of this scene. This is his moment. They're appearing before Elrond. Aragorn's standing in the crowd, right? Um, and, uh, uh, and, Again, it's Arag- it's from Aragorn that we learn about Boromir's coming, and I cannot help but feel I do. I, I'm not trying to. You know, I don't want to just. I'm not. Just, I don't want to just tease Boromir. Um, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of him. Um, uh, my own respect for Boromir, which was always considerable, um, I feel has increased uh, after our discussion of the Council of Elrond. I think that Boromir comes across quite well uh, in the uh, Council of Elrond. I think that we learned a lot about him. At least I learned a lot about him uh, as we uh, you know, looked at that really carefully. Um, so I'm not just trying to be harsh on poor Boromir here or, or make fun of him. Um, but again, I but I still cannot help but notice that he is to some extent a kind of odd man out here. Um, he does not he is not presented to us as part of Elrond's plan, um, and um, and I cannot decide to what extent I find that um, uh, I find that significant. Um, Yeah, Matt says, has Elrond listened closely to Boromir's story and recognized Boromir as a possible discordant note, one out of place because his brother would be the right note? Possibly. Possibly so. I mean, I, I kind of um, I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder that. Um, uh, yeah, now, uh, the Lama 73, uh, I hear you that Boromir's been hanging out for a month waiting for this decision. Uh, he probably would have been bummed not to be chosen. And at this point, I mean, he's headed that way anyway, right? So, um, you know, that seems that seems sort of inevitable. But what was not inevitable was him waiting a month, 
for this, right? Um, again, I, that I don't think is a spo spontaneous decision, right? I don't think that, I don't think either um, that Elrond is saying like, oh, well, Boromir's been, um, um, you know, waiting around and he's going to, you know, it's going to be awkward trying to send the ring south in the general Gondorian direction and him south and, you know, not having them go together. I, no, no. I mean, I think that if Elrond had judged that Boromir should not be part of the company, Boromir would have been encouraged to set out for home earlier than this. He did not have to sit around waiting for a month to set out. Um, that, in fact, even seems um, potentially like a lot to ask of him. Like it would have been had to be put to him, to Boromir. Because I cannot imagine Boromir just lang lounging, right? Think of all that time that we're about to study um, that Bilbo spent spending quality, or Frodo spent sp spending quality time with Bilbo, right? What was, there, what was Bil Boromir doing during all that time? You didn't have anybody to spend quality time with, right? I mean, yeah, I'm sure Rivendell's lovely, right? But, um, but I cannot imagine Boromir just being like, ah, oh, yes, with everything going on back home and, uh, you know, uh, my city likely, uh, you know, possibly under siege by now for all I know. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to enjoy a little, um, you know, a little R and R up here in Rivendell, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't think so. So I, and I do agree that, um, um, I do agree that Boromir, like the decision to include Boromir must've happened. A while back. So I'm not trying to say that I think that this is happening spontaneously here, that, um, you know, Elrond was just like opening his mouth to name a different seventh member of their party and Aragorn got in first and, and uh, uh, you know, um, opted him in. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I think it's clear. The circumstances seem to make it clear um, that Boromir has been chosen. This was sort of the plan all along. So I'm not saying that I think that, Arag that Elrond is unwilling. What I am saying is that it's... Um, still, it's just, it's out of place. In the presentation that we get, what we actually receive in the text, um, his introduction is different from everybody else's um, in that it comes from Aragorn and we don't hear Elrond saying anything um, about um, about Boromir. Um, uh, it does seem possible, Jackie, that Aragorn and Boromir have been hanging out some. Maybe even he went with Aragorn on the scouting expedition. I don't know. Um, uh, it's it's possible. It's possible. Um, <laughs> Arden Cran suggests that you might want to keep your friends close and your suspicious Gondorian warlords closer. Uh, you think that might have been Aragorn's policy? It's possible. It's possible. Um, yeah, Dan, I was thinking the same thing. Um, Boromir, uh, Aragorn's vouching for Boromir's valor. Um, you know, if 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 Boromir had been along uh, with them, uh, then I uh, I suspect that would be the case. There's another um, there's another little moment in the text. It's not for a while down the road though. That also leads me to suspect that. Boromir's been traveling with Aragorn. Um, we'll get to it in a little while. A uh, couple years, probably. Um, but um, but I do think, I do think they've been traveling together. Um, okay, I'll, I won't, I'm not trying to be mysterious because I'll totally forget about this by the time we get there, probably, unless you remind me. So I better tell you. Um, I am referring to 
Boromir's pointed reference to a tracker in his speech, in his ring-induced speech to Frodo when he's getting upset, right? When he says that he is neither thief nor tracker. Uh, that tracker uh, comment always seemed to me um, directed at Aragorn. Uh, and um, that there's a, there's a lot, I think, kind of hanging on that word there. Um, but my point is that uh, the point that I would make is that um, he wouldn't even... Aragorn has done very little tracking. Uh, I mean, he is, in fact, a tracker. Uh, and um, it, why is being a tracker... See, this is why I didn't want to bring this up, because I don't want to do a whole discussion of that passage. We'll talk about it later on. Uh, suffice to say, and I feel free to say this because I've said it in other classes and stuff that I've done, but... Um, um, but I think that he's, uh, we are seeing, uh, he, he's thinking about Aragorn when he's saying that, when he says that. That's my reading. Um, we'll talk about it more later. I'll, I'll, I'll try to convince you later if you're not convinced. But, um, but my point is, he wouldn't even, like, the journey that they're going to take, there's almost no opportunity for, I mean, Aragorn doesn't track anything. He doesn't even act as a tracker. Um, uh, you know, on, on the, you know, he's a, a pathfinder sometimes, but he doesn't really track anything. Whereas, had Boromir gone with Aragorn in scouting parties, there would have been plenty of opportunity for him to watch Aragorn in action as a tracker. Um, he tracks Merry and Pippin, but only after, only after Boromir's dead, so that doesn't count. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, yeah, um, so, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So, uh, now, and he totally tracks Gollum earlier on, Jackie, but again, that's only, he, he doesn't, he doesn't like see him in action. Like he doesn't, the fact that he kind of thinks of him that way. Anyway, I'm just saying, I think that his labeling Aragorn as a tracker, uh, um, is consistent with, uh, his having accompanied Aragorn. It would explain both things. It would explain both Aragorn's what sounds like first person testimony, you know, to Boromir's valor, why he is personally willing to vouch for Boromir's valor other than just by hearsay. Right. And I don't think Aragorn is saying he is a valiant man, according to him. Right. I, I don't think he's just saying that. Um, so, um, uh, anyway, anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Michael, you're tempting me, but no, no, I am not going to talk about that passage. We'll get there. Don't worry, we'll get there. We'll do a full discussion of that, I promise. Um, but um, anyway, okay. So that's that. that but I so I but I since it's not going, you know, I mean, as you know, that's uh, not until the breaking of the fellowship, several chapters down the road. Uh, so we're likely to be several years before we get to that point. So I figured I might as well just mention it now. Um, and we are getting sidetracked now, Emily. You are so right. Okay. Let's, um, uh, let's go back now to what Elrond does, in fact, say, having pointed out what he didn't say. There remain two more to be found, said Elrond. These I will consider. Of my household I may find some that it seems good to me to send. But that will leave no place for us, cried Pippin in dismay. We don't want to be left behind. We want to go with Frodo. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead, said Elrond. Neither does Frodo, said Gandalf, unexpectedly supporting Pippin, nor do any of us see clearly. It is true that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go. 
but they would still wish to go, or wish that they dared, and be shamed and unhappy. I think, Elrond, that in this matter it would be well to trust rather to their friendship than to great wisdom. Even if you cho chose for us an elf lord, such as Glorfindel, he could not storm the Dark Tower, nor open the road to the fire by the power that is in him. You speak gravely, said Elrond, but I am in doubt. The Shire, I forebode, is not free now from peril, and these two I had thought to send back there as messengers, to do what they could according to the fashion of their country, to warn the people of their danger. In any case, I judge that the younger of these two, Peregrine Took, should remain. My heart is against his going. Then, Master Elrond, you will have to lock me in prison, or send me home tied in a sack, said Pippin, for otherwise I shall follow the company. Let it be so, then. You shall go, said Elrond, and he sighed. Now the tale of nine is filled. In seven days the company must depart. Okay. All right. There's, um, there's a lot here. Mouse says he was correct to sigh. Yeah, yeah. Um... Okay, good. Now, Lupita, thank you, Lupita, for going back to the very first sentence, which is just what I wanted to do. Uh, too often, and I know this is difficult, when I read through the whole passage, uh, so often you guys are commenting on, like, the last thing, and the last, like the thing I just finished reading, right, in the last paragraph, which is, of course, totally tempting. I'd probably do the same. But, of course, usually I do not want to start at the end. I want to go back to the beginning. So thank you, Lupita, for doing that. Um, I... Yes, two more to be found, not selected, he says. There remain two more to be found. That is an interesting verb, isn't it? Um, um, it does suggest this is not him merely strategizing, right? And it fits with what we were looking at before, about both when we were looking at his foresight, but looking at his uh, receptivity to providence, right? Um, as seemed to be suggested by the whole you know, they are going in your direction and so therefore should go with the company kind of approach. Um, now, Kendall, I agree. Uh, there is a truly obvious pair of candidates, right? Okay. We need two more people for this company. If only somewhere around here we could find two strapping, young, uh, experienced people uh, powerful members of my personal family who might want to come. We know that Eladon and Elro here are totally uh, spoiling to go, right? Now, we know this because they're going to end up going with the Rangers, right? Um, uh, so, um, you know, the, the, when, when they do get the chance, they're going to jump at it, right? Um, yeah, now, Emily asks, do the Suns even exist yet? Um, I can't remember. I know Arwen was a late ad. I don't remember. Um, uh, they're mentioned at the banquet. Yeah, but so is Arwen. I mean, that might be retconning, um, is what I think, um, uh, we're asking about there. Um, Yeah, I, 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 Wolfie, I agree. Um, yeah, they were mentioned in the scouting also. Yeah, again, I don't know that... I, I, I can't remember if they were retconned or not. Um, uh, 
I can't remember. Somebody wants to look it up in um, Return of the Shadow. See, it might be an it might be an index in Return of the Shadow that would tell us if uh, the twins get mentioned. All right. Um, but um, anyway, Wolf Yow, I agree with you uh, that um, it does feel that Elrond is leaving the opening for something much greater to make that choice. Um, yes, agreed. Um, of my household, I may find some that it seems good to me to send. Is a complicated sort of things to, thing to say, right? I don't think. Um, I don't think that what he means there is I just, I can't think, I've been racking my brain and I got no candidates. I don't think that's what he's saying, right? Of my household, I may find some that it seems good to me to send. So he's not worried about finding them, right? I get there are plenty of people in his household, right? And by his household, I think he doesn't necessarily mean his own family. I mean, his stepson's are in his, or stepsons, his, his twin sons are in his household, right? Um, but they are not, um, but so are lots of others, right? I mean, his household is, is, is broader here. Um, uh, okay. Thank you, JJ. JJ says they're not mentioned until the treason of Isengard. That still brings them in sooner, um, than, uh, Arwen for sure. And it's Christopher commenting on their absence. Okay. Okay. So they are a late ad then too. Um, JJ, I wonder, are they invented when they show up with the Rangers? I bet you that's, that feels right. Um, that feels right. That feels like the kind of scene that Tolkien would, that would, that would inspire. That, that's like exactly the kind of place that inspires Tolkien to invent characters, I think. Um, so that's going to be my, if you're not seeing them until there, that 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 would be my guess. That when they come in, they're there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, okay. Uh, of his household, I may find some that it seems good to me to send. So the the key element there is that it seems good to me to send. Not of my household, I may find some that are willing. Not of my household, I may find some uh, who would do a good job, you know, or, you know, or, or, or anything like that, right? What he's holding on to, what he's debating, is which one would seem good to him to send. And so on, on what basis, right? On what basis is he going to choose those? Um, what will decide him, you know, on what basis is it going to seem good? Now, on the one hand... I definitely think um, that, to some extent, it is about their willingness. Willingness is one of the trends that we've seen um, to this point, and I don't doubt that that's the case here, too. He's certainly not going to dragoon somebody into doing it, right, from his household. You know, he's not going to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, congratulations, you're on the way to Mordor, right? Um, It seems instead... And I hear, Lupita, I come back to your original, um, your original point, his use of the verb found. There remain two more to be found, right? He hasn't discovered. He hasn't discovered the other two. Um, And again, I'm presuming, I'm presuming this is not the first time he's thought of this, 
right? You know, it's not like today is the day in which Elrond is like, yeah, let's think about that old Company of the Ring thing, right? It's been a month, I am sure, that he has thought about this. Um, the fact that he is still at the place where he is thinking that he might may find some that it seems good to him to send. It's, it's you know, <clears throat> we're coming up on the deadline now. It's, it's about time to go, right? If no, nobody has popped up yet, if he has not yet been inspired with the conviction that, oh yeah, let's totally send, uh, you know, Eladon and, um, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Aristor or something like that, right? I mean, if, uh, um, if that hasn't happened yet or Lindir or something like that, um, uh, yeah, Bjarnas owner, I totally agree. If it's been a month and he still hasn't decided on the last two, it suggests that the last two are not to be his choice. And I would say that his use of the verb found in that first sentence suggests that he knows that, you know, that he's onto that. Basically, he's not forced it, right? You know, he's not, um, he could have done, he could have found some candidate or other, you know, that would have worked, but he's not done it yet. Um, despite all of the time that he's had. Uh, so, um, so yeah, yeah. Um, Pippin immediately is the one who speaks up. But that will leave no place for us, cried Pippin in dismay. We don't want to be left behind. We want to go with Frodo. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead. First question. Was this Elrond's plan all along? How surprised is Elrond when Pippin pipes up? Right? I wonder. I agree, JJ, that Pippin seemed to take it for granted that he and Mary were going. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I'm not talking yet about what he says later. I'm talking about this right now. Here's why I'm suspicious. Um, here's why I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious... First, because we know that Elrond, first and foremost, is about the free will, right? He brings it up to Frodo, um, <clears throat> but still asks Frodo voluntarily to re-up before he decrees it as official, right? Um, here's my suspicion. My suspicion is that that first speech of his on this slide is, in a sense, performative. Seeing what Merry and Pippin say and do. He's opening the door to Merry and Pippin, but he's not going to suggest them. He's not going to nominate them. He's not going to say, there remain two more open slots. And I thought perhaps your friends Merry and Pippin would want to go, but let's ask them what they think. Right? He doesn't want to say anything like that, because that what places them on the spot, right? He wants them to initiate. 
So he makes a speech saying, there are two more spots and I just don't know anybody who could go. Maybe I'll think of somebody in my household. He says, as if coming up with an idea that never freaking occurred to him in the whole last month, right? Wait, maybe I could send an elf from my household. Yeah, okay. Maybe that could work. Uh, I'm going to say, and then um, uh, Pippin stands up. So it's a regular elvish trick, says evil Dr. Cannon. Um, yeah, I, I think I think he's... So I, I don't think he's baiting them exactly, Emily. It's not... I don't think it's sneaky in exactly that way. But he is creating a situation in which if their hearts are in fact in the right place, they will speak up, as they do, right? Um, but if they're not... Here, another way to look at this um, would be to say that he is giving them an out, right? An easy out. An honorable out, right? Um, I mean, if Marion Pippin had even sufficient doubt or fear or uncertainty to say something like, well, we were kind of hoping to go, but we do understand that there are definitely more qualified people than we are, so, you know, your call, Elrond, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that he is, he creates the opening for them to volunteer, right? And I think he has his answer prepared, we want to go with Frodo. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead. If you knew what was coming, you might not want to. In other words, he first creates an opportunity for them to volunteer. And then as soon as they volunteer, he says, okay, but are you really sure you want to volunteer? Right? Do you really know what you're doing? Right? Because I don't think you know what you're doing. Um, make sure you know what you're getting into. Or realize, I want you to realize the fact that there's no way you're going to really understand what you're signing up for, right? Um, but are you, like, really, right? So he shows, he doesn't say, it does not seem good to me for you to go. He doesn't say anything like that, right? All he comments on is on the circumstances of their willingness. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead. They could respond to that by saying, you know what, um, yeah, okay, you're right. <laughs> it does sound pretty scary, right? Um, um, yeah, yeah. Now, I agree, Barthram, that there's not really any way that Pippin's going to just back down and walk away. I agree. But that's because we know him and we know what he is going to say, right? Um, uh, yeah, Stun Duck says, I had a job interview once that basically consisted of the following. Here's what's bad about this job. Do you still want it? Okay, you're hired. Seems a bit like that. Um, yes, yes, yes. Um, Okay, so Two Juice Man, I disagree with you. Two Juice Man says we have as much evidence that Elrond planned it this way as we have that Boromir lied about having the dream. No, because we have very much positive... Like We would need heaps of evidence to believe that Boromir was lying. If Boromir's lying, it's a huge deal. It's a huge... It would rock Boromir's world. Like, and everyone else's world who knows him, right? To tell an untruth like that 
is a huge, huge deal. Elrond's not doing anything. If, if Elrond has set this up, he's not doing anything wrong, right? There's this, it's not a parallel in any way. All he's doing, he's not said anything incorrect. He's not deceiving anybody. What all he would be doing, if my theory, my relatively spontaneous theory here is correct, all he would be doing is orchestrating the circumstances to enable them to volunteer of their own will, right? He gives them the opportunity and sees what they do, rather than talking to them about it. Mary and Pippin, would you like to go? Why or why not? Let's discuss that, right? Instead, he creates the circumstances, and lets them come forward. Um, now, hang on. We're getting there, Cecilia. We're getting to what he says later on, right? Um, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to... We're, we're going to get there. Yes, the men of Gondor are truth speakers. Absolutely. It's... We, it's... It would be... Uh, um, it would be a major plot point if Boromir were telling a lie. Um... Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, Cecilia, I completely disagree with you. He's not manipulating anybody. He's not manipulating anybody. In fact, what he's doing is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that. If you were to nominate them, if you were to ask them if they wanted to go, right, it would create a situation that would leave their own choice imperfectly free because now there would be social pressure on them. Now they'd have to say no to Elrond, Right. Right, they would be shamed for them to 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 be like, oh no, actually no, we back out, right? And their choice would have been made under these different kinds of pressure. Instead, he creates a circumstance in which there is no pressure for them to go, none at all, right? No presumption even that they would be there, right? He creates the situation such that only the kind of willingness that would lead them to jump in and say. No, no, no. We insist on being included. There are two spots. There are two of us. We're totally in and we don't care. Right. Only that kind of willingness would lead to their speaking up. And that's the kind of willingness, I think, that he wants to see. Um, so, again, I think it's the opposite of manipulative. It would be it would be manipulative again for him to nominate them or even to ask them if they wanted to go. Um, and that does seem to be, I mean, when we started looking at this a couple weeks back, this whole company selecting passage, um, the two things that seem to be the most, the primary qualifications for going seem to be willingness, first and foremost, and availability, right? Um, and of course, Mary and Pippin, their availability is still in question. We're going to get there. Um, but, um, uh, but nevertheless, as far as uh, like uh, providential indications are concerned, right? If if Legolas and Gimli setting off in that general direction, Boromir headed in quite that same direction, um, are kind of indicators that uh, Elrond seems to be taking to say, "Yep, all right, they they should be going along." Um, then the fact that there's two spots and there's Marion Pippin who came along with Frodo already. Um, and he's let Sam in because Sam has shown exactly that kind of willingness, right? I'm willing to interrupt the entire council of Elrond, uh, to jump in and look into this. Right. Um, and of course you've got their small handedness, evil Dr. Cannon. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. As Matt says, by the rules of their class, they would be obligated to say they would go if asked. If asked to volunteer, the heirs of the leader to the leadership of the Shire would unquestionably volunteer. Uh, Elrond's approach gives them a chance to step forward of their own free will. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, uh, yes, exactly. Now, for Thoughtless, it's true. It does beg the question for how Elrond recruited everyone else. Um, uh, I don't think he had to recruit. I, I bet you Gandalf and Aragorn both spoke up, right? We know Gandalf did because Gandalf already declared to Frodo that he uh, uh, would like, you know, that that you know he would possibly be coming with them, right? We knew that it was in his mind to go with them, so they probably approached Elrond, both Aragorn and um, Gandalf. So the only real questions. Um, become Boromir, Gimli, and Legolas. I think Boromir very much was proactive about it. Again, I think that's why he's still there after a month, um, because he uh, asked to come with the company. Um, as for Legolas and Gimli, we don't really know. Uh, we, we don't really know uh, what, uh, uh, you know, the circumstances. Did they come and volunteer also? Um, did... Um, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, of course, that happens. You know, off stage, so we don't really uh, we don't we don't we don't really know. Um, okay, all right. Now, hang on. Okay, so you guys can't get over the bottom half of this passage. I, I, one paragraph at a time, folks. Um, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. Um, now, Gandalf's intervention. Neither does Frodo," said Gandalf, unexpectedly supporting Pippin. "Nor do any of us see clearly." It is true that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go, but they would still wish to go, or wish that they dared, and be shamed and unhappy. I think, Elrond, that in this matter it would be well to trust rather to their friendship than to great wisdom. Even if you chose for us an elf lord, such as Glorfindel, he could not storm the dark tower, nor open the road to the fire by the power that is in him. Let's first focus on Gandalf's, um, Gandalf's statement here. Um, Mad Violinist says, I think that even Gandalf is erring and underestimating the hobbits here. Um, yes, yes. Good question. De La Mancha asks, who was his support unexpected to, unexpectedly supporting Pippin? Um, and I think clearly um, unexpected to the hobbits, right? Unexpected to the hobbits. Um, Yeah. <laughs> Lupita says, once again, Tolkien is telling us, no, Glorfindel is too awesome to go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it's unexpected. It's unexpected to the hobbits. Um, Frodo and I, I, all of them, I think. All of them. Um, all four of them, I think, are surprised. Um, surprised by this. Um, yes, unexpected to the narrators. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, Praise is thinking, I, I agree, this is almost certainly Frodo narrating here, right? So it is probably his surprise. But I bet you Pippin is surprised too. Um, you know, uh, that came up explicitly, remember, right? Um uh, you know, there has to be someone with intelligence in the party. Keep in mind, Gandalf knows their willingness, 
right? He's seen it. We saw him seeing it in that earlier passage, right? Uh, the sitting on the windowsill passage. Um, uh, we already saw that, right? During the council of, uh, of Bilbo, uh, the post, uh, the, 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 the post council council, um, where Pippin was comically volunteering, right? Exactly the where are Gandalf's buttocks passage. That's the one, Drosnake. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So Gandalf knows firsthand Pippin and Mary's willingness to go, right? And in fact, even their alarm, right? They've had this out already. Um, and remember Frodo immediately saying to them, um, you're not saying, you're not thinking what you're saying, right? Condemned to go on this hopeless quest, a reward, right? Saying that, you know, that uh, Sam was rewarded for his cheek uh, by being uh, sent along with Frodo. Um, and Mary says, it depends what you want, right? Um, uh, and, and of course, uh, we already talked about how much I love that line. You know, we were, um, uh, we're envying Sam, not you, Right. Nobody envies you, right? But if you're going, then it will be a punishment to the rest of us to remain behind. This is all, like, their, not just willingness, their eagerness, even their resolution, right? That um, despite Frodo's reminder, you're not thinking what you're saying, right? This is, uh, this is not a good gig, right? Um this is not a good gig. Um, and they do not understand and can't imagine what lies ahead. Frodo doesn't say it in those words, but he points immediately in that direction. As soon as they start, as soon as Pippin starts talking about um, uh, wanting to come along, right? Um, so Gandalf knows about their willingness already. Elrond has not seen it firsthand, right? So he cannot judge it. But there is, of course, another factor, uh, as we will go on to see in a moment. But I want to look a little bit more carefully here. Neither does Frodo, nor do any of us see clearly. See clearly what lies ahead, right? Including of course, Elrond, right? That would be a very gentle way of saying uh, you don't yourself, Elrond. Remember you just said you don't see clearly what's to come, right? Nobody, if you can't see clearly what's to come, how can any of us understand or imagine what lies ahead? We're all going into the dark. We're all going under the shadow. Right? Um, it is true that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go. But they would still wish to go or wish that they dared and be shamed and unhappy. His emphasis to Elrond here is their friendship, their willingness to go is more important. Yes, no, they don't understand, of course not, but that's not the basis for anybody, 
right? Um, Gandalf is immediately supporting their willingness. I hear this as Gandalf immediately saying, this is not just some kind of flash in the pan. This is not like FOMO speaking here, right? That they feel like, oh, there's this great quest going on and our friends are going and we're going to get left behind and, and we, we feel like we're going to be left out, right? Um, Gandalf is saying, no, 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 it's more than this. Gandalf knows these hobbits much much better than Elrond does, for sure, right? Better than anybody else there, except Bilbo, maybe. Um, and, um, and he says, yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, if they understood the danger, they would be overcome with fear. But their willingness is real. Their willingness is real. Um, they would still wish to go or wish that they dared. If willingness is what's important, then Gandalf is here vouching for their willingness. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, great. For Thoughtless, I agree. It, uh, it says it just struck him how early on Gandalf is emphasizing the inherent aspect of Estelle in the quest. If even Elrond cannot foresee and plan the course of the quest, they're all throwing themselves entirely on the plan of Eru. Exactly. Which we saw in the council, right? I mean, that was al always sort of the plan, right? Um, but yeah, Gandalf is here emphasizing it again. Um, we're not, none of us are proceeding on the basis of knowledge, Right? We're all proceeding. This is a leap of faith by everybody. This is about Estelle from one end of this party to another. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Matt suggests Gandalf is giving Elrond cover here. Elrond has to express doubt, but uh, somewhat of unquestionable authority, as the interim white wizard would have, uh, has to hear speak on their behalf. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think he does. I think he does. Uh, and again, he's clearly vouching primarily for their willingness. They're wishing to go or wishing that they dared to go, right, at the very least. Um, even that, like, you know, he's saying even if they were overcome, even if they were so overcome with fear that they did not actually dare to go, their desire, they would still wish that they dared, right? So even if their fear were extreme, their willingness is their hearts are still in the right place. Um, these are, in fact, in other words... These are, in fact, uh, exactly the kinds of candidates that we want uh, in, this, uh, in this company. Uh, and then he says that explicitly. I think in this matter it would be well to trust rather to their friendship than to great wisdom. I've always loved that line. Um, I've always loved that line. Uh, we could either do something very wise... Or we could bring Merry and Pippin, <laughs> right? You can, you, you can read that sentence in a couple different ways, right? Um, trust rather to their friendship than to great wisdom. So the parallelism of that suggests that we're, we're trusting in friendship instead of trusting in wisdom. If it's their wisdom, right? It's like, okay, so we could either choose somebody really wise to come along with us, or we could choose friendship over wisdom. Um, but it's also possible that he's saying, he's talking about their wisdom, like, it might not seem very wise. People might look at this and be like, well, that was a head scratcher, right? Okay, fine. You know, Sam makes some sense. If we've decided that hobbits are the best ring bearers and that humble hobbits with small hands are the best ring bearers of all, then 
Sam, you know, bringing along an auxiliary backup ring bearer, you know, so that we've got a second hobbit to pass the ring to. Um, fine. Okay. So you can, you can get behind the Frodo and Sam choice, right? And the rest of them, you know, again, if you're choosing on the basis of wisdom, if you're min-maxing this, right? Uh, to use a role-playing game term, uh, if you're min-maxing this, you can justify everybody else. Gandalf, Aragorn, Boromir, Legolas and Gimli, no problems, right? Merry and Pippin are the ones which, um, if you're really just saying what is the shrewdest decision, what is the, uh, what is the wisest way to go, um, uh, there's no justification for Merry and Pippin, right? Um, but, um, so yes, rather to trust to their friendship than to great wisdom. It just seems like such a, a, a wonderfully backhanded comment, right? Um, I, it's foolish, Elrond, right? Picking Marion Pippin is pretty dumb, but I think that's obviously what we should do, <laughs> right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um. Exactly, Kendall. Pippin is not the wisest decision. He's the perfect candidate. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, so... Here he's reminding Elrond and others, I wonder. Who else is here? Okay, we don't, I don't think... Lego, we don't, do we not have any evidence that Legolas and Gimli are in the room, or Boromir, right? Aragorn's there, we know, because he spoke up, Right? Uh, Gandalf obviously is there, um, but uh, <laughs> exactly. JJ says Boromir hasn't interrupted yet, so he's probably not. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I did mean Legolas and Gimlas, Mister Bigga. Yeah, I did. Bilbo's there too, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, um, um, yeah. Even if you chose for us an elf lord such as Gorfindel, he could not storm the Dark Tower nor open the road to the fire by the power that is in him. So those last two sentences, he's recapitulating where they got to in the council, right? For whose benefit is why I'm asking about who's in the room, right? Um, I think in part for... Is it entirely for Elrond's... You know, is he reminding Elrond? Does Elrond seem in danger of forgetting? Um... Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he's really trying to talk Elrond out of it. Um, Even if you chose for us an elf lord such as Gorfindel, he could not storm the Dark Tower nor open the road to the fire by the power that is in him. Um, by the way, I uh, the one thing I refuse to believe is that this is the first time Elrond and Gandalf have had this conversation. Right. I think that this is a public recapitulation of the discussion they have been having. Um, it's been a month. Um, good. Praise. I, I agree. Um, Mary and Pippin didn't hear it since they were at the council. So maybe it's for them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, to make sure that they understand about the, um, the small hands policy. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Hey, what I, you know, um, 
Uh, <laughs> Kendall is imagining that, right? Because I mean, like, what are the odds that they would need like an anti Balrog, uh, uh, you know, weapon on this journey, right? Like somebody who has personal experience in taking down Balrogs uh, and plummeting from high places in order to like spare companions who are trying to escape by a narrow way. If only we had somebody who had that on his resume, right? It might come in handy at some point here, but um, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Blood the Inspirer, I think you are probably right. Uh, he says, I think this is a case where Tolkien did not know if someone was in the room until they said something. Right, yeah, no, I think this goes back to JJ's point. Um, Boromir didn't interrupt, so he must not be there. Right, I agree. I agree. Um, yes, yes. Um, Okay, so you speak gravely, said Elrond. Now, um, you are right that um, uh, the Lama 73, uh, it is interesting that he says you speak gravely and not wisely or sensibly or something like that. Um, Yeah, gravely. Gravely is interesting, right? Um, You speak gravely. Um, what does he mean by that? Seriously, certainly, right? Um, what he says is, by you speak gravely, he means there are significant implications of what you're saying here, right? Um, It's a hard-hitting speech Gandalf just made, recalling their own conclusions, their own, you know, Elrond's own policy that he was laying out at the end of the council and saying, look, this is a, this is a clear-cut application, right? They're, they, um, they fit all the profile. They are willing to go, very willing to go, right? They are determined to go. Um, they, uh, are here they are just the right number of them conveniently as if selected by providence right um and they make no sense whatsoever right they are uh uh not either strong or wise right it is not by power that they are going to make it through um yeah yeah you speak gravely, but I am in doubt, says Elrond. The Shire, I forebode, is not free now from peril, and these two I had thought to send back there as messengers, to do what they could, according to the fashion of their country, to warn the people of their danger. In any case, I judge that the younger of these two, Peregrine Took, should remain. My heart is against his going. Okay. Now, this is an interesting deal, right? Um, he says he is in doubt. Now, those of you who are talking about manipulation and stuff, I am not arguing that Elrond is insincere in this speech at all. Because that would be, that would put it, then he would, it would, this would be sketchy, right? Um, he says, I am in doubt. 
if he's lying about that, if he really wants Merry and Pippin to go and he's trying to drag it out of him, right, by saying that, there's nothing manipulative. There is nothing, um, uh, there is nothing deceitful in what he said. For That's why I wanted to take it one paragraph at a time, right? Um, there's nothing deceitful in that first, like, leaving them that opening, right? Um, what he says is different right here. This is very important. I am in doubt. So, um, yeah, JJ, that's exactly the kind of situation that I'm imagining. We know Gandalf knows that Merry and Pippin want to come. There is a 0% chance that Gandalf and Elrond have not talked about who's going to be in the company before this. And I am sure that it is not now spontaneously occurring to Gandalf, hey, you know what? Merry and Pippin would actually be a great idea. I forgot to mention this to Elrond earlier, but now I'm going to bring it up, right? Uh, No, like I'm quite convinced that they've talked about this, right? So JJ, I think very much in um, uh, along the lines that you just said, that Gandalf suggested it privately to Elrond before. Elrond protested, and said, oh, hang on, I got another plan for Merry and Pippin. And Gandalf said, just open the option to them and see how they respond. Um, yes, yes, exactly. Um, Dan, great question. Do we get any uh, sense that the hobbits share Elrond's concern about the peril to the Shire and are seriously weighing the value of sending someone back there? Uh, no, no, I don't think they are. I don't think they are picking that up at all. Um, Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so Elrond leaves the door open. As Gandalf predicted, Pippin jumps through it, right? Elrond pushes back a little bit. That's because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead. Gandalf comes in and argues for them. Unexpectedly to... Frodo, and almost certainly to Pippin, um, who is used to Gandalf not (laughs) supporting him, (laughs) right? Um, But I very much doubt that Gandalf's speech was unexpected to Elrond. I think that he knows that Gandalf thinks this way. I think that that's one of the things that underlies this whole scene to start with, that Elrond knows Gandalf's opinion is that Merry and Pippin should come in the company, but that he, Elrond, as he says, is in doubt. So that would be one good reason why he opens that, does that thing that I think that he's doing in the front there, giving them the opportunity to jump in without asking them to volunteer, without nominating them, without saying, hey, Gandalf thinks y'all should come. What do you think? Right. Again, that puts all kinds of pressure on them. Right. Hard for them to say no. In that kind of an instance, he leaves them to volunteer. Then Gandalf makes his argument, right, publicly, right in front of the hobbits, right, in support of them. And Elrond, by saying you speak gravely, acknowledges the virtue of Gandalf's argument. You make some good points. No, it doesn't make sense. No, it is not wise. Um, but yes, uh, I I hear you, right, That that that, you know... There's something in what you say, but now he's going to give his counter-argument. Why is he in doubt? What does his doubt come from? And there are two things 
that he says. The first is that there is this other thing. Is Why is he not in tune with providence about this? Because he foresees something else. Right? Remember, foresight. It's Elrond's thing. The shire I forebode is not free now from peril. With our own hindsight, or preemptive hindsight, hindsight if we've read the book before, we know he's correct. Elrond is absolutely right. Um, it is a true foreseeing that the Shire is not free now from peril. And who knows what might have happened? Who knows how things might have been different had Merry and Pippin gone back, as Elrond suggested? Remember, it's still real early days for Lotho Pimple, right? Um, the uh, the destruction of so much of the Shire, all of the everything, it's for hindsight. Exactly, JJ. That's exactly what it is. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Now, as usual, fourth Dauntless, I don't remember. Um, can anybody see if Elrond says this back in the early drafts? In the Return of the Shadow? Um, now, I agree, Zephan, that their statue, their stature would not have risen, you know, so them returning now is not going to be anything like the effect that they will be able to, that they are able to have when they're going to return later on, right? Um, but then the circumstance had not degenerated to that point yet. Um, there wasn't that much of a need. Do they have the stature to um, go up against Lotho Pimple now? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, uh, I, at least I think it's possible. When exactly did Lotho's antics really ramp up, uh, Rowdy Buck? I think, um, I mean, we're told very soon after the departure. He's starting. He's starting already. Um, he's starting already. Now, what would have happened? Would things have been better in the Shire had Mary and Pippin go back? You know. Things would have different would have been different, but they couldn't have been better. I don't know exactly what would have happened. None of us can possibly know exactly how things would have gone down. But the main point is Elrond is not wrong. He sees he foresees that there is danger in the Shire. And his thought is to send them back as messengers to warn the people of their danger. Um uh yeah. Now I'm not talking about what would have happened to the company and to the rest of the story had Merry and Pippin uh, gone back. Um, I'm just thinking about the Shire right now. Elrond um, has this notion. He foresees danger coming to the Shire. And so he is thinking, mightn't it be a good idea to send them as messengers back there to try to do something to help to protect the Shire? Um... Pippin is very young, but, you know, he's the son of the Thane, so, you know, that kind of uh, gives you some uh, leverage, really. Um, I mean, both Merry and Pippin, I mean, it's fairly low-key, but they're pretty important, you know? I mean, um, they're pretty important. Um, So, again, I don't think it is is at all... um, uh, 
Yeah. Now, Valor, you're right that Sharky is the one who's going to make things go really bad, but that's a long time coming. Um, and who knows what would have happened had Lotho been resisted at first before Saruman ever showed up. Right. Um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, do I think it? everything would have been better had they not got... No, of course not. Um, we will see, and Gandalf will brag rather smugly, um, that it will clearly turn out to have been the right thing for Merry and Pippin to go on in the company. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no question, Emily. When he's writing the story at this point, he does not foresee Sharky. Goodness. He didn't even foresee Sharky when he... When they met... When they first met Saruman on the road in many partings in The Return of the King, um, he still didn't foresee Sharky yet. When he introduced Sharky, he didn't foresee Sharky yet. Sharky was originally an orc. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, um, um, the character of the unrepentant Saruman doing harm in the Shire is a very, 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 very last, um, uh, last minute thing uh, on Tolkien's part. Um, but um, uh, but I, I, anyway... My point is not to say what might have happened. My point is instead to say Elrond is not foolish. This is this is a good idea on his part. Now, several of you have been asking, okay, why is this an all or nothing proposition? Like if Merry and Pippin don't go back, why couldn't he still drop him a line? Right? You know, I saw somebody say the elves are still headed west, right? Somebody's passing, you know, Galdor gonna pass through there or something? Like could we get somebody uh, to send a message to the Shire? No, they couldn't. What on earth good is that going to do? Somebody has a visitation from an elf, right? Like an elf appears to them in the night and says, the Shire's in danger, beware. Okay, like even if that hobbit believes that that happened, um, is anyone going to believe that hobbit, right? I mean, like it's... um, it's I, I just don't see that doing any good. And anyway, what are they going to do? Like, how are they going to convince them? They have no context. I mean, the on, there's only maybe one, possibly two hobbits in the entirety of the Shire right now who have any context whatsoever to even comprehend a message that says um, I, the Shire is not free from peril. Um uh, you're in danger. From what? Who? Like Farmer Maggot? Maybe. Maybe. Um, possibly he would be receptive. But yeah, Fatty Bulger. He was the one I was thinking of. He's, the, he's, the, he's number one. Fatty Bulger is the only one who has any context. And uh, uh, Falco Boffin would be the, the second as he was kind of involved in a, He was involved in the conspiracy to some extent. Right? Um, uh, yeah, so I mean... Farmer Maggot at least met the riders, right, uh, and has that much context. But even he doesn't understand anything about the big picture, right? Um, anyway, so the point is, there's. I think that he, um, Elrond, is basically correct in seeing this. This is an all or nothing deal. 
if Merry and Pippin don't go back, the Shire shall not be adequately warned. It's really, it's really not possible. And I do agree Farmer Maggot doesn't have the social standing to mobilize the Shire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, nor does Gaffer Gamgee. But anyway, Gaffer Gamgee is too blind to even realize what, I mean, he did not much like the writer, right? Um, but even he didn't understand what that was all about, right? Um, so, uh, okay. So Elrond basically seems to be, he says, I am in doubt. He doesn't say, I am against it. He doesn't say, I think this is a disaster waiting to happen. He is not against their going. He says, I am in doubt. And the reason that he is in doubt, as he explains, is that he's wondering at least, has Providence brought these two, like, why has, okay, so Providence has brought these two hobbits to us, right? These two hobbits have, in fact, been brought, right? They weren't called to the council, but they were called the Rivendell, right? They're here. Why are they here? There's a, what is the reason for them? That they have a reason, he seems to take for granted, right? But what is their reason? Gandalf argues their reason is to fill the last two spots on the company, right? Elrond seems to suggest uh, that is thinks it at least possible that they are here in order to go back to the Shire and help to, uh, according to the fashion of their country, warn the people of their danger. Um, so that's the other option here. And again, he's not saying... I know this is the right thing for you to do, to go home, right? He's not saying that. It's like, there is a calling upon you to go home. It doesn't, is, he's not, again, he's not using forceful language. All he says is, I'm in doubt because I did have this, I do foresee this danger and I have this notion that they should go. That's why I'm not convinced. And then he adds, I judge that the younger of these two, Peregrine Took, should remain. My heart is against his going. Then, Master Elrond, you will have to lock me in prison or send me home tied in a sack, for otherwise I shall follow the company. I don't know why Elrond says my heart is against his going. I don't know why. JJ says, in fairness, Pippin probably would have died if the Eagles hadn't shown up. Um, yeah, it does he foresee... It is true that... Um, yeah, Fort Thoughtless, exactly. That, I mean, is he foreseeing Pippin's death? Um, or near death, right? Um Is that why his heart is against his going? When Elrond says, my heart is against it, I know of no other way to read that than I have a foreboding that something bad will happen if he goes. But I don't think that he is necessarily saying, I think it will be a disaster for the quest if Pippin goes. And the reason I don't think that's what he means is how he prefaces it. The younger of these two, Peregrine Took, should remain. My heart is against his going. Mentioning his age, right? The baby of the party, Peregrine Took. I judge that he should remain. That's a strong statement. I judge. 
that he should remain. My heart is against his going. Very positive statements, right? Which sound based upon some kind of foreboding. And based that he based on the fact that all that he emphasizes is Pippin's age suggests to me, um, in any case, that um, uh, he's thinking of Pippin. That it's his death on the battlefield that he is foreseeing in that moment. Um, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> praise praise Moyer is imagining a cage match between Gandalf's heart and Elrond's heart here. Uh yeah, yeah. Um um Again, I don't think he is saying Well, I mean it's one of two things. Right? It's one of two things, namely that either he thinks it's going to be bad for Pippin or he thinks that Pippin's going to be bad for it, right? For the quest. Um, the latter, I think, is unjustifiable. I mean, sure, Pippin's going to, you know, put his foot in it a few times. Um, but even those things are going to turn out. Um, you know what? That's exactly what I was just thinking, Matt. And, uh, wait, did some, yeah. Almerea too. Yes, exactly. Um, he's not a grown up yet. Is that why? Cause he's not the age of consent. I, I, you know, and I don't mean from an elvish standpoint. Of course, none of them are from an elvish standpoint. Um, but if the number one qualification for the quest is willingness, right, is free will, the choice to go, Pippin is the one making the most ill-informed choice. Um... Yeah, I mean, he's not, you know, he's not like 10 in human years or something like that. Or he's not a child. He's just not quite of age. Um, yeah, uh, Marina Fay, I agree. Gandalf is basically signing on to be the, you know, the, the, the you know, he's signing on in loco parentis for Pippin here, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a really good point, Matt. Uh, Matt says, uh, Tolkien would have seen a number of boys who lied about their age find their way to the Somme. Yeah. Yes, he will have done. Yes, he will have done. Um, yeah, Pippin is big enough to go along, but not old enough to understand why he why it might be a bad idea. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's a legitimate candidate. It's a legitimate candidate, I think, as to why his heart is against his going. Again, it's, it, his age is what he mentions. The younger of the two, Peregrine took, should remain. Um, there is no reason, he gives no reason, for why he's distinguishing between Mary and Pippin. Mary, maybe, but Pippin, I really doubt it. I really don't think so. 
right? Um, and uh, uh, and the only thing that he mentions is his youth. And surely, what else could there be apart from any, again, specific foresight about him? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, Pippin's response if uh, if that last two sentences is an invitation for Pippin to prove that he is uh, mature enough to be chosen, I'm not sure Pippin succeeds, right? Then, Master Elrond, you will have to lock me in prison or send me home tied in a sack, for otherwise I shall follow the company. Um... He certainly declares his resolution, right? His resolve, that is. Um, his imagery, I think, is very important. Um, his his imagery of incarceration, right? Lock me in prison or send me home tied in a sack, right? Um, in other words, what he says is not, no, I really am willing to go. And I know what I'm saying. He says, Elrond, if you prevent me going, you are constraining my free will. I don't know that Pippin understands fully how good that counter-argument is, but I can't say... Right, Fortalis points out that both of these things happen to the other, on the other Hobbit adventure that Pippin is aware of. Yeah, these are not random examples. Oh, an elf lord locking his guests in prison? Yeah, I've heard stories about that. I, I hear that that happens, right? Are you going there, Elrond? Or maybe you're going to tie me in a sack like the trolls. Is that where we're going here? Is that the way this is going to go? I mean, yeah, I do think that those are deliberately chosen. You know, those are chosen out of uh, 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 Bilbo's avuncular word horde, right? Um, but... Um, but as I say, I don't know that Pippin could possibly have calculated a better response to Elrond than this. I don't think he did calculate it. I think, you know, I think he just says it. Um, but I, I, I think that he, um, he could not have done better. For you to prevent my going, for you to intervene and say I can't go, is to override my free will. And let me explain the extent of my fear. I will follow the company, right? If you don't let me go, I'm going to follow along as number 10 and mess up your perfect notation, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mess up your numbers because I insist on coming. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, Druid's Fire agree that Pippin is brave enough to give this elf a bit of what Sam would call sauce. Uh, yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my will is set upon going. This is not a rebuttal of the youth argument. I mean, it's not. Um, if you wanted to insist on it, you could still say, I understand you're willing to go, but that's just because you're not qualified to make your own decision and I still need a note from your dad. Like, he could still say that. Um, but, um, yes, JJ, exactly. He would be like the unlucky number, right? Not exactly, as you say, the unlucky number, but it would be like that again. Um, and JJ, I hadn't even thought of that. I hadn't even thought of that. Um, the determination on nine uh, as the kind of another mirror reversal of uh, Bilbo's quest here, right? That like now we have, uh, you know, we had the number that we didn't want to have and now we have the number that we do want to have, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yep, I agree, Matt. I'm not, I agree with you. I, I'm not. I, I don't want to characterize Pippin's response as childish. Pippin or his response as childish. I agree, um, but um, yeah. But as I say, he certainly doesn't rebut the youth argument. But what he does say is very powerful and very well calculated to convince Elrond. Right. Um, Only by an act, only by abrogating my free will can you prevent me going. Let it be so, then you shall go, said Elrond, and he sighed. Um, <laughs> you're right. Not the Dunadorian says, as a took, his Tookish side is his only side. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, the sigh. Um, uh, my first question about the timing of the sigh. Okay. You know what? It's late. It's late. And I have a lot to say about the sigh. <laughs> I don't want to rush the sigh. Because I think that this is a really interesting uh, moment. Elrond's sigh here. That this is... There's a lot here. It can go a lot of different ways. Um, but, uh, yeah. Let's... Um, Let's put the sigh on hold. We'll start with the sigh next time, and then, I confidently assert, move on to the next slide. So yeah, we did, uh, it was even more than seven-eighths of a slide, Mad Violinist. It was, it was a good 90% of this slide. Um, but um, yeah, let's, um, let's save the sigh, because I don't want to rush that. Um, I was tempted just to rush it, but I don't, I don't want to rush it. Let's, let's talk about that next time. Um, but I will just say the things I want you to be thinking about. 
Um, first, why does he sigh? But second, when does he sigh? Like, what's he sighing about exactly? It's the timing of the sigh that I find most um, uh, most uncertain there. But anyway, okay. So we will um, um, we will go back. And you're right, Dan. Technically, we started with the end of last slide. We went back to he's a valiant man a little bit, right? Um, so um, uh, so yeah. I guess in theory, we actually did. Uh, a complete 100% of a slide, right? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. In seven days, Elrond will sigh about the seven-day declaration. That's it. That's just what's going to happen. Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody. We will uh, uh, <laughs> We will come back to this. It's field trip time now. Good evening, Valori. How are you? Good evening. I'm doing well. Yourself? Good. I'm good. Yeah, I got issues here. Okay, hang on. All right. There we go. Um, I'm good. So we are headed off to a new area today. We have uh, finished our, during the Council of Elrond, we indulged in some exploration on the other side of the river, right? So uh, going to, I'm just going to go to any old map here so I can go out. Um, we did, um, actually, no, wait, let me go to Ravanian. We went from the Gladden Fields, uh, the Vales of Anduin, up through to the Wells of Langflood and Gundabad, right? So we did almost the entire Vale of Anduin here uh, in our expo- exploration during the, um, during the council. But we are just now going to, we're going to start pre-gaming for the trip down into Eregion. Right? That's where we're headed next. Now, we're not going to go into the footsteps um, we're not going to footsteps. We're not going to go into the footsteps of the party of the company yet, uh, because we haven't gotten there yet. So we're going to wait until the party actually sets out. The company actually sets out from Rivendell uh, before we um, we trace their path. But there's a whole bunch of Eregion that they don't see, right? So we're gonna we might as well um, go um, uh, go start touring the rest of it. So let's meet up at Gwingris, I think, is the most sensible place for us to meet up. It's a good starting spot off the beaten track. By beaten track, I mean the secret trail uh, that the company is going to take. Um, so what's the best way to get down there? Through Rivendell? Can we get there from Rivendell? Um, let's see. I have a hunter's point. That only helps from my only helps from my character so that i don't know okay i think we can get there from rivendell so let's um and then we once we get there we can milestone there Mm -hmm. i believe so that'll just be that'll be just as simple yes and uh yeah barthram you are in danger if you are um, well below the area level we cannot guarantee your safety (laughs) yeah we can work on it but um but uh it's going to be a reoccurring problem you know it will be. It will be. Yeah. But um, this guard is not responsible for bodily harm. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly it. We'll make you sign a waiver of some kind before we go on the field trip here. But uh, but yeah, if you're low level, well, let's just say it this way: we have a better chance of keeping you alive in Eregion than we did uh, at Gundabad. So marginally, there's something. 
So, uh, I don't know. See, I'm reading this passage, and you're talking about, like, you know, they still haven't got all nine. It's been a month. He's talking maybe Merry and Pippin, maybe not. I get the feeling that Elrond is not a planner. He's definitely a pantser. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, I mean, so on the one hand, so I really do think, I, I think that, again, I, I do not think that Elrond is is, you know, lying at any point. I, he's being perfectly honest in saying that he thinks um, oh, this other dude is like blocking the... I can't even get to him. Okay, there he is. There's this like AFK guy overlapping with the stable master. Um, uh, okay, let's see. Hang on. I want you to take me to Rivendell. Where's that? Way down. There it bottom is. of the list. Yep. It's always at the bottom yeah. or near the bottom. Okay. Um... So, um, again, I think he's completely sincere, but I think it's also clear that his argument with Gandalf has clearly been inconclusive, such that he's willing to stage it again. He's willing to bring it to a trial here. He does not have other candidates lined up, you know? Like, that seems that seems uh, pretty yeah. clear. Absolutely. Yeah, I get that. For, I get that indeed. Uh, but it's also one of those, like, we were talking about the power of free will by drafting someone into it you, you create the evils of uh, resentment or bitterness or despair if they mm-hmm. don't go under their own power so it's really important they go under their own power but i feel like he's fighting fate i feel like he is worried about the success of the mission to the point where he is doubting himself so many and this is where we get into the you know third el- third age problems I mean, technically, he wasn't born in the Third Age, but by the Third Age, as we've established in like our uh, examination of the Silmarillion, all of the rash, gung-ho elves have since we long passed away. Right, right. And so now we have all these elves that spend too much time sitting and thinking and going, but is this the right course? Am I doing wrong by doing this, this constant, right. you know, the, the yes and no problem? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great point. It's a great point. I mean, it's, it's definitely worth thinking about because I think that, um, uh, he is, I think there might be, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit next time again, maybe, but I'm going to do the milestone before I forget. Um, uh, all right. Done with, uh, for sure. So here we go. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, uh, is Elrond basically experiencing something like temptation? You know, temptation to go back on what he himself said, like, well, gosh, maybe we should go with wisdom after all. You know, maybe, uh, you know, I wonder. It might be. It might be. I don't know. We already have wisdom. How about uh, bloody-minded uh, perseverance? Yeah, there you go. Um, maybe we need a little bit more folly, right? And, uh, and, t- and Pippin Mind is the perfect up. candidate. Right. You know, Pippin jokes about you need somebody with intelligence in the party. And uh, 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 in in the end, they end up choosing the exact opposite. Right. Somebody who had uh, intelligence and possibly wisdom also as his dump stat. Um, <laughs> well, and yeah, and that was the thing with the hesitant. I, I you know, I hesitate to send apart from the age. It's one of those things. I wonder if he knew that Pippin's curiosity and precociousness was going to get him into something. Yeah. As it is, is it rather dead? Yeah. Great. Great. 
Oh, hey, Josh the Left, welcome. Glad you could be with us. Uh, just caught up. Always, always good to see people who have caught up. That is uh, such an increasingly uh, admirable undertaking. Um, okay, so here we are in Gwingris. Now, first question is, where is that? I, of course, I usually like to ride to the place first, you know, rather than stable mastering or milestoning to a place. Um, yeah. Because we don't get any sense of its context. But again, we did that on purpose here this time because uh-huh. we're going to ride into Oregon with the company. So, um, what we know about Oregon, of course, uh, is that it was a Noldoran kingdom. Yes, that scans. Back in the old days. So, we are looking at clearly an elvish ruin. We don't have any of the context. Let's, where should we start? We're here in the middle of town. Should we start from the middle here and work out, work our way around? Because this fountain is pretty much the middle, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is the middle. You think? Um, Should we start from here and work our way around, or should we go back outside and then, and and, uh, look at the town from the outside and come in through the front gate? Um, you mean through the switchback that goes to Rivendell, or? Hmm. What was that? You mean should we go through the switchback that goes to Rivendell, or? No, no, no. I just mean right outside the gates and stuff out here. I mean, we could. You learn a lot. About yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's get. We'll get a little. We'll get a little more context here. So, are these the front gates? You think? Oh, it looks like it. Although this, this yeah. road is badly mangled. So let's try to understand the... Con- All right. Oh, it divides. Okay. Well, that's interesting right there. Mm-hmm. So let's ignore the um, the skirmish camp, as that seems to be temporary. modern, temporary, and, re- and irrelevant to the city. First, we look at the road leading up to it. Stone flags, are they undecorated, or do they have a really complicated pattern that we just can't make out at all anymore? Uh, these are really uh, That's... they're more they're less damaged over here over where it does look like they're oh further up yeah yeah further up the road you can see there's less dirt in between there does seem to be some kind of pattern whether it's something that was lying on top like maybe some sort of copper or iron thing that was on top or some sort of filigree or tracery yeah I'm trying to um, I'm trying to figure out because that looks like it could... No, I mean, look at the straight lines that go across multiple stones. Yeah. Right here where I'm standing. That wouldn't happen just by the natural... Um, the natural, uh, you know, lines of the stone. Yeah, I don't think it's... I don't think it's natural wear and tear. Okay. So it's... Or like the, you know, the like the marbling of the stone itself. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so I don't know what the designs were, but there do seem to have been designs. So we have a decorative path mm-hmm. that divides and leads to two gates. Well, okay, look, we don't even need the gates. The first thing we can see, apart from the fact that there aren't any gates, apparently, I mean, like looking at this one over here, this entrance, right? Mm-hmm. 
this doesn't even look like one of those, and this is where the gate used to be kind of deals, right? These look like two pillars that had an arch over them, right? Mm -hmm. They're super... We broke through the gates the first time. This is the other path. Right, which also seems to be another gate, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, there are two paths leading up to the walls. Yeah, this looks like there was no gate here. It looks like there was no gate. Exactly. In other words, the first and most obvious conclusion, it seems, is that this is not built for defense. This is not a fortress of any kind. (laughs) No. (laughs) This is very open. This is like a, a... you know, uh, it's a leisure. Park. Yeah, like a leisure park built out of stone. You know, like um. I mean, the filigrees alone. Like, imagine all the arrows that would get through that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, these huge. It's meant to enable you to be inside, still looking out, right? Yep. It's very fancy. Happier times. Those were happier times. Those were happier times. Yeah, they were at peace here until Sauron invaded and wrecked everything. But they were at peace here, and they were under no threat. And especially again, if we look at the at where we are um, in the map, I mean, at the time of the Kingdom of Eregion and back in the Second Age, what was even around here? The dwarves in Moria. Moria, that is. And what else? I mean, this is long before Angmar or any of that was at all, right? This is before even Arnor had been. So even the Dunedain and the, you know, wars among the Dunedain later on, all well after Eregion, right? Um, So there was Rivendell not far away, right? But there is almost nothing else. Now, Bree claims to have already been there, right? Um, So, okay, if we we can believe that Bree was already there. Um, Yeah, Rivendell was after Oregion, but I think there was some overlap there. Um, Or at least they were closer in any case. Um, Right, right. No, it is at the fall. It's founded in the war, right? Um, uh, in the war that ends Eregion. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So it wouldn't have overlapped really significantly at all. Um, mm-hmm. So, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. Okay, so... That by itself, by the way, is kind of interesting. If the hidden valley of Rivendell as an elvish defense spot is constructed basically when Eregion starts to fall. Eregion, which is not built for defense, um, you know, is built in a like total lack of paranoia, right? Um, mm-hmm. Starts to fall, then they, uh, they do the Rivendell thing. Then they go back to like... Uh, you know, the Gondolin slash Nargothrond approach, right? Absolutely. Okay. uh, Yeah, and this connects, this architecture here connects us to what we had affectionately called the the party elves. Exactly. Yes. Complete party elves. Um, Which 
tracks, right? That it's a, made in times of peace in the Second Age. Um, in the Second Age, Morgoth is gone. What else is there to be afraid of, right? The elves who stayed in Middle-earth, um, you know, because they loved it and wanted to remain here and continue their works here, um, there is nothing to be afraid of. Arnos, there is a Balrog, but nobody even knows that yet uh, because Moria yeah. has not fallen. Um, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, exactly, Trifle. And the elves deemed evil had been ended forever. Yes, they don't even know that uh, Sauron, at the you know, yet really know that Sauron is still around and causing mischief. Um, beautiful elf called Anatar. Exactly. And this, of course, would have been built even before they met him. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So they built this place yeah. when they thought that all evil had yeah. ended and that Middle Earth itself is their playground, right? That yeah. they didn't want to leave yet. Um, so this ruin, this ruin... We're looking at a what um, five thousand, five to six thousand year old ruin. Uh, yeah. Right. Essentially. Yep. And we get a lot of these sort of open ceiling, looking at the stars kind of deals. Yes. Yes. And we did. You're right. See things like this elsewhere. Um, and they did tend to correlate with the, you know, the, the, the party elf scene, as we said, you know, those who were just making, um, uh, were not building defenses. They were not building yeah. fortresses. I am noticing there's a different, one of the different elements here is this bleak marble accent that's everywhere. The which one? The, the, uh, around the door, the edges of the doors and the windows. Oh, Yeah. They have a, a blue marble inlay, which is quite oh. Yeah, it is. I wonder if it's local to the area here, because we haven't seen it anywhere else. Yeah, that is interesting. Okay, there we go. Trifle says Aregion was founded in 750, Second Age. There you go. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, yes. Um, I'm going to go ahead and assume that Gwingris, which is on the outskirts, right? If, uh, you know, the Tamir Diamond Mirabel down here, it was the center of Aregion. Mm -hmm. um, Gwingris is way out on the outskirts up here. Yeah. But it is close to the waterways, which would have been important. Yep. Yep. Um, it would have been which waterways? Is this the Bruinen? Yeah, I think it is the Bruinen. Okay. Alright, well, we'll go Let's actually, before yep. we, before we think about the utility of the buildings, let me. I almost just ran off this cliff, which I probably <laughs> shouldn't do. Um, yeah. That is right. So this is the Bruin Inn that we're seeing in the in the in the gorge right here. Mm -hmm. This is near where we found those mysterious ruins in the cave. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And how long is it until dawn? Well, it's almost dawn. Okay. Yeah, and you can see from here how much of this city is built flat up right against the um right against the uh edge of the cliff here. 
right? Again, clearly not because it's a defensible spot, but presumably because it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. The only thing it would give you is information on anything that was coming nearby, but if you get too close to the falls, so, you know, it would only work. Yeah. I, we don't see what the river does when you head south, do we? Not really. I mean, eventually yeah. goes down to ended ways, I suppose. Okay, right. Yeah, so we can see a little bit more. I just went up to the Trollshaw's map, so we can mm-hmm. see the Bruinen coming down, and it's very clear that it is the Bruinen and some tributaries of the Bruinen that we are uh, yep. next to here. Yeah. If anything, you'd see your visitors a couple hours before they got here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so let's any, like docks or harbors or anything. Let's go around the perimeter. So here's this tower, mm-hmm. a tallish right. tower, right up against the cliff. Yep. Uh, you wonder if there was a bit more of that cliff back in the day. Oh, some erosion. Well, you know. Yeah, it's not the safest place. Six thousand years will do that to you. Yeah. Potentially. Another crumbled down tower. Hey, look, I just crossed oh. into the Trollshaws. <laughs> We're right on the edge, indeed. Okay. So, yeah. Another really big tower, but this is not a tower like that other one over there. Okay. So yeah, I'm just looking, we'll, we'll look more at the buildings and think more about the layout of this town and what kind of can, because of course one of my questions is going to be um, uh, what's the point of this town? Yeah. You know, wh- wh- why did they build a town here at all? Um, so I'm wanting to look around the, peri- the perimeter here as much as we can. I'm probably going to fall off the cliff in doing so. There's some bad rapids down there. Can we see any of the the other ruins that we looked at in the Trollshaws over there? Uh, I believe they were all our sort of our Norian-looking guys, though. Uh, I do recall. Yes, they were. They were. It was all Rudaran stuff, mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. even like where those, those the the ghosty places with the skeletons marching around. Right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, you, can, you can see the bandage is limited because no one would be able to make it down those rapids. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you're not using the river. You're not going upstream from here or anything. Yeah, I, I, my inclination is to say it's just for the view. I mean, notice it's the view all the way around, right? Yeah. I and mean, we're not just. Panoramic. Yeah, we're not just getting the view of the canyon over there. We got the other canyon over here, mm-hmm. right? It's all on, you know, this um, this cliff view is on three sides of this town. They seem to have come up in this direction as far as it 
as they could go, found this big old promontory on this cliff surrounded on three sides by rivers and said, hey, let's uh, build a little city-ish thing here. <laughs> That's scans of what we know about elves and their love of just looking at things. Yeah. I would think so. And just it keeps going. Yeah, I, I could definitely see them saying, I just want to stand here and look at the view for the next three days. Right. Or, you know, maybe the next couple thousand years. That would be good, too. I meant without taking breaks, but yes. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, all around on all sides. Um, from one edge of the city to the other. So only this front wall here. Um, you know, sort of... But, I mean, it's it's ironic because... It's exactly like the kind of thing you would build in order to make it defensible, right? Yeah, yeah, because the thing is, uh, with the difference being that the area out there is unassailable anyway because it's next to the tributaries going next to the rapids. You'd have to stay yeah. further down. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I wonder if um, this place was uh, one of the last places they retreated to during the battle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Um, Stun Duck says it's the kind of spot that dwarves would love usually. Yeah, in some ways, you know, but like I, being up high, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, like it seems to me, I mean, it's just, I, as I say, it's funny. Like, you know, you've got this, uh, this flats field protected on three sides by, you know, really, really steep gorges. Uh, and all you need to do is build one really strong wall across the end, and you've got this really, really strong fortress to retreat into. Except, obviously, they didn't do this. Right? Yeah. They didn't do that at all. all yeah, the wall that we see here is as about as indefensible a wall as you could really build. Right? Well, yeah. They're an older, and I'm pretty sure they were probably kind of resourceful. Maybe built up some palisades or something. Oh, if when they were actually under attack, they could do it for sure. But yeah. that was clearly not the case when they built this city. Is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, one of the first questions I'm always asking myself, you know, when I see a new city like this, is. Like, what was it, you know, was its purpose military or not, right? Is it, is it, is it meant for defense or is it not? And I'd say, um, not, <laughs> definitely not. Even though, again, the terrain would seem to suggest it. The, the terrain would even seem to invite it, uh, you know, the building of a fortress here. Like, if they were going to build a fortress anywhere, here's a wonderful spot for it. Out of the way, um, you know, difficult to get to. Uh, only assailable from one angle. Um, obviously the last thing from their minds. Yeah, yeah. But it really just goes to show exactly how far that was from their minds, right? This is clearly the result of a very, very secure society. So with that in mind, we will do a, we'll do a deeper dive into the city itself, its layout. What can we, uh, what can we begin to see from, um, from what we can see of the layout of the thing? Um, mm-hmm. uh, to see if, um, 
if we can make any sense of that, get a sense of like, what their purpose for it was exactly. Um, can't be sightseeing alone, as you don't need to build a city for that. You can just come here and stand here, as you say, for three days. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Emily, exactly. Uh, considering that the password for the Holland door is the Elvish equivalent of password. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, yes, high security, uh, clearly not the, um, um, clearly not the, uh, the, the priority there. All right. Um, very good. Well, I think this is, uh, Happy Halloween! <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, Even the Witch King of Angmar is a fan. There you go. Even the Witch King of Angmar is a fan. <laughs> All right. Well, we will return to Gwingris next time and try to figure out, as I say, try to figure out the layout and purpose a little bit. Um, and uh, we will see... Uh, we will see what happens. All right. Very good. Um, thanks very much, everybody, for joining us tonight. And we will uh, we'll, we'll be we'll, we'll, we'll be sighing and returning to Gwingris next week. So <laughs> thanks, everybody. Good night Bye. now.